Many of you have become angry at the Daily Wire's attitude towards soccer, and I want you to know I understand there are two sides to this issue. On the one hand, there are those who feel soccer is a decadent third-world non-sport pushed on Americans by a sinister left-wing cabal hoping to feminize our culture by drawing us into a sissified exercise in which underdeveloped men wearing girly shorts run back and forth over an open field for no apparent reason, unable even to use the hands God gave them, but reduced to kicking a ball that represents the goat's head they would probably use in their own backward culture, until by some apparently random chance, they actually insert the object in the goal in a pitiful half-imitation of manhood that makes it possible for a nation with a GDP of $17 to all but accidentally defeat a country that could wipe them off the face of the earth simply by sneezing too hard. On the other hand, there are other people with other opinions. Let me be clear. We here at The Andrew Clavin Show support the right of all people, including you communist sexual perverts who wish to watch soccer in the copious spare time you have in lieu of jobs. We just think the sport could be improved somewhat by allowing the players to pick up the ball in their hands, like men. Then maybe they could bounce it over a hard surface until they use their superior strength and size to leap over the opposition and drop it through a net only a little larger than the ball itself. That way there would be more scoring and the players would look like LeBron James instead of Pee Wee Herman. Just saying. I hope this brings our two sides closer together, though not too close together. Maybe we could sit at opposite ends of the couch and watch some baseball. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh. All right, it is mailbag day tomorrow, so get your questions in now. Ask about anything you want, religion, politics, your personal life. The answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life, sometimes for the better, other times. (laughs) Uh, What you do is go on the Daily Wire page, hit the podcast thing up at the top, take you to Andrew Clavin podcast, and then hit the mailbag and write in your questions. But you got to be a subscriber. Lousy 10 bucks a month, all your problems solved. It's the best deal on the internet today. Also, in a special live stream this coming Monday, July 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern, we'll be joined by our special guest, Jordan Peterson, and we'll celebrate Independence Day with a Canadian. I don't know why, but the the Daily Wire's God King, Jeremy Boring, will descend upon us and host a new edition of Daily Wire backstage with me, Ben Shapiro, and Michael, what's his name? Knowles, uh, to look back on our country's birth and look ahead to its future. Subscribers will even be able to write in live questions for us to answer on the air. That's this Monday, July 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific with special guest Jordan Peterson. You can find our special live stream on Facebook and YouTube. So do not miss it. And we got Sebastian Gorka coming up right in a few minutes. So you want to see that as well, though you got to be a subscriber if you want to just watch the whole thing here on The Daily Wire. I don't know if you do this, but you know, when you use a credit card, it is very easy to forget you are spending money until the bill comes due and then you got to spend the money. And if you don't have it, 
you get hit with those huge, usurious, is that the word I want? Usurious, something like that. The big, big, big interest rates from the credit cards. But with Lightstream, Lightstream is a serious business. This is not a fly-by-night thing. They reward customers who have good credit with a great interest rate and no fees. And you can get a credit card consolidation loan from 5.49% APR if you use AutoPay. You can save thousands of dollars of interest. Application is 100% online. And you can even get your funds as soon as today. My listeners get an additional interest rate discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Andrew, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash Andrew. This is subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount available only when you select auto pay prior to loan funding. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com for important information about limits on Lightstream loans and same day funding. So you're watching the left just kind of sucked into the great Trump trap, right? It always works. I, you know, why, why does this? It always works. What happens is Trump does this stuff. He calls people names. He says things that really are very, are, are quite rude. You know, it's like, like little Marco uh, for Marco Rubio and Lion Ted for Ted Cruz. And now he's got, he's after Maxine Waters with low, a very low IQ person. Says these terrible things that really are impolite. When the left starts to strike back in kind, when his opponents strike back in kind, they destroy themselves. Marco Rubio, remember when he went after Trump for the hands thing, he started saying, oh, he needs small fingers. And suddenly Marco Rubio just looked like an idiot. Trump can pull this stuff off. Why is it and why do they keep falling for it? Well, I would like to put forward a theory in the case of the left. I mean, obviously, we've got this, this thing that they've been doing where they've suddenly, be- not suddenly, they've become violent. They've become hateful. They're surrounding women in movie theaters, uh, throwing Sarah Sanders out of a restaurant. That turned out to be much worse. And we'll get to that in a minute. And, and the left is kind of sort of trying to get them to stop, but they're trying to blame Trump for it. Nancy Pelosi sends out a tweet In the crucial months ahead, we must strive to make America beautiful again. Trump's daily lack of civility has provoked responses that are predictable but unacceptable. As we go forward, we must conduct elections in a way that achieves unity from sea to signing sea. I don't want unity in my elections. I want us to argue things out and then vote against each other until we get the people we want. But never mind. The the thing that the reason Trump is so good at defeating the left and the reason the left doesn't know what hit it and why it looks just awful now, it looks violent and hateful, is because they have been living off the illusion of civility, the illusion of civility, which they, which is supported by a news, uh, a, a news media, a Hollywood, an ac- academy that literally does not itself know how uncivil they have been for the last 50 years. What is the worst thing the worst thing you can call a person in America today. What is the ugliest, worst thing you can call a person in America today? Used to be, when I was a kid, it used to be that you were gay. You know, you called somebody gay. That was really a low thing. You could sue somebody just for saying it, just for suggesting it. Now, obviously, that's that's a compliment now, but but that's, which is fine. No problem. No problem. But the worst thing you can say about somebody is that he's racist, Okay. That is what they say about everything we think. We say, oh, you know, or, or bigoted in some other way. We say, you know what? It would be a good thing if we enforced our laws at the border. Well, that's the only reason we want to do that is because the people coming over the border are brown. 
You know, you say, well, we got plenty of brown people. These brown people aren't our citizens. I don't care what color they are. They aren't citizens. They're breaking the law, you know. So if you assume that everything we say is racist, you don't have to argue with us. You don't have to argue. It's just it's just an insult. You know, the Supreme Court, just before I came in, they handed down another one of these 5-4 decisions. Every time I see one of these things, I think, remember when uh, the never Trumpers were saying, oh, you just think it's good because of Gorsuch. But Gorsuch, but Gorsuch. yeah, <clears throat> pretty good appointment there, Gorsuch. But another one of these 5-4 decisions in which they said Trump's travel ban is, in fact, legitimate. And the argument against this, the incredibly stupid argument against this, was that because Trump said things during the campaign that sounded like he wanted to ban all Muslims. In fact, at one point, I thought he, he did say uh, ban all Muslims until we figure out what's going on. That's what he said. He just have a pause in Muslim immigration. But the travel ban didn't actually do that. So you had like uh, Sotomayor saying this repackaging of the ban does little to cleanse the policy of the appearance of discrimination that the president's words have created. She wanted to knock this thing down on the appearance of, uh, of discrimination. But everything to the left is discriminatory in what we say. This is a travel ban that's very similar to Barack Obama, uh, wanted the same travel ban to get countries that have a lot of terrorists to make sure we double check them before they come over in our, into our country. It is not. This is another thing. They call us bigoted when we raise the question, does Islam have beliefs that are antithetical to Western culture? Islam is a belief system. Not every belief is in keeping with Western culture. That is not bigotry to say that. If there were a country called Naziland, there would be plenty of nice people who lived there, but they would be Nazis. And if they wanted to come in, you would have to ask yourself the question, does Nazism, is Nazism in keeping with Western civilization? No, it's not. Okay. So with Islam, it's fair to ask this question when they are at war with every single person who is on their borders, including other Muslims. It is fair to ask the question, can, can we inspect this? Can we ask it? But no matter what we say, it's bigotry. So if you say, if, you know, if you talk about, if you talk about gay people and obviously, listen, I have, I have uh, come out in favor of gay rights again and again. You guys have argued with me a lot. I respect your opinions. I understand, you know, it's, there's always this tension in American society in any free society between individual rights and the greater culture. So, you know, it's not like you write to me and I think, oh, you're evil homophobes. I think, no, I, I get it. You have a, a really good, good point to make. I come down on the side of individual rights more often than I do on the side of the greater culture. I kind of feel like the greater culture can accept individual rights. But I understand your concerns. I get it. But we discuss it. That's why we're conservatives, because we discuss things and we talk about things. But immediately you go to the, oh, it's homophobia. You're a, a bigot. You're nasty and all this stuff. It's the it's a, the the illusion that you are civil. So when Trump starts fighting back, he is fighting back on their own terms. He is kind of like for most of us, because I'm a really polite individual. I actually am. When for most of us, it's like high, getting the bully at school to fight the other bullies who are picking on you. For 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, we've listened to you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a thisophobe, you're a Islamophobe, you're a bigot. It's the nastiest thing you can say about a person. There's no civility about that. It doesn't matter if you put it politely. It doesn't matter if you say it in a soft voice. If every opinion that I have seen... The only reason you can think of I have that opinion is because I'm a bigot, because I hate women, because I hate gays. You are not being civil. You are being offensive and insulting and dismissive and cruel. And when I say, you know what, you guys, because you're NBC, because you're ABC, because you're CBS, your voice is so much bigger than mine. I don't have a voice to strike back with. Oh, wait a minute. Here's Donald Trump. That's not that is not being uncivil. That is being uncivil back. 
All right. And, so, and that's why it works, because then when, when they come out and they start to attack Sarah Sanders, they're just being who they've always been. When they surround uh, the uh, Pat, Pat Bondi in, uh, in Florida and they spit on her and they scream at her, and they, they're just being who they've always been. So he's exposing them for who they are. That's why it makes them look so bad. You know, I don't know about you. I'm sure that you do the same thing. I take my pictures with my phone. I don't have a, you know, I, I was in Rochester, New York, and I saw Kodak, and Kodak used to be the biggest company on earth, went out of business because they did not uh, get digital cameras. Now I take all my pictures with my phone, but then what happens? They stay in your phone, they kind of, they get into your computer, maybe, and then you lose them. <laughs> you don't know where they go. Your computer crashes, you've lost everything. Keepsake Frames is the easy way to frame photos from your phone in seconds. It's easy. You just download the Keepsake Frames app, upload a photo, choose a frame. It's done. Keepsake Frames are shipped direct from the studio, so prices start at just 25 bucks, and shipping is always free. Keepsake Frames bring your digital photos to life without the time or cost of going to a frame shop. And now, through July 4th, they're offering an incredible deal for our listeners. 30% off your first order when you use promo code code Clavin. Download the Keepsake Frames app and get 30% off plus free shipping when you use promo code Clavin. That's 30% off with the Keepsake Frames app, promo code Clavin. And we know, the, asking always the musical questions, how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So let's, you know, this thing with Sarah Sanders was much worse. She goes to the Red Hen in Lexington, Virginia, what was it, 11 East Washington Street, just in case you want to drop in. And, and she goes there, they tell her to leave, but it was worse. She was with her family. Here is Mike Huckabee, Sarah's dad, telling what happened after they threw her out. Once Sarah and her family uh, left, and of course, Sarah was asked to please vacate, Sarah and her husband just went home. They, they had sort of had enough. But the rest of her family um, went across the street to a different restaurant. The owner of the Red Hen, because nobody's told this, then followed them across the street, called people and organized a protest, yelling and screaming at them from outside the other restaurant and creating this scene. One of the members of uh, Sarah's in-laws who were there, um, by the way, most of her in-laws, not her mother-in-law and father-in-law, but most of them are very liberal. And one of them walked out and said, look, I don't like Trump. I'm not a supporter. I'm a far uh, considered liberal. But you guys are embarrassing me and you're not helping the cause. It was ironic that, you know, and, and he said, Sarah's not even here. You're yelling and screaming at somebody who's not here. Uh, th this is what the left has been reduced to. It's, it's really tragic. It's I don't know if tragic is the word, but it is embarrassing because it's who they are, because it is really, you know, obviously not everybody who votes Democrat is like this, but so many people because they hang out with only people they know. See, the, the right doesn't have this problem because we're surrounded by Hollywood, because we're surrounded by the Academy, because we're surrounded by journalists. We hear left wing arguments all the time. We learn to fight them in our minds. We learn to think back against them. They never hear from us. They do not understand that so much of what they say is offensive. They do not understand understand how deeply, deeply cutting, mean, cruel, and stupid it is to respond to every opinion you disagree with by calling it racist. They don't get it. And so when they, this, he's talking about them chasing a uh, left-wing couple, right, his, uh, Sarah's other in-laws, right, they're talking about chasing a left-wing couple, and these left-wingers saying, to, this is, you know, you're, you're coming after your own at this point, and yet, and yet, 
If you go on MSNBC, where the liberals gather, right, they are defending this. They are defending it. Take a look at uh, cut number one. If there are babies in cages over here, are you still going to be able to go out in polite society and have dinner with the democratic citizens of your country? You reap what you sow. The folks who work for him, who are part of this uh, remarkably unconventional administration, and that's putting it as politely as I can on a Monday, I don't think should be surprised at this reaction. I mean, are, are, are folks surprised at, at what they've gotten? Did they not know what they were voting for in terms of tone, tenor, substance, all of it? I think the Trump administration lecturing anyone, Trump administration and their allies lecturing anyone on civility is ridiculous. You know what? Let's talk about something that actually matters in people's lives, which is these kids and their parents, and talk less about the treatment of Sarah Huckabee Sanders and more about the children who are dealing with this. What would an appropriate response look like? How polite do we have to be to people that are putting babies in cages? I would say that we don't have to be polite to those folks. I would say that polite discourse is inappropriate when there are babies in cages. But she's being incredibly dishonest because there were babies in cages as they I love the way they come up with these phrases. They're very good at it, really. Babies in cages during the Obama administration. But Obama wasn't shouted down. None of his people were shouted down. He was the light worker. You know, he was the, the, the savior. It's all nonsense. This is just the fact that they don't like the fact that Obama, that Trump is doing conservative things and they are working. The country is doing better. The world is doing better. Our uh, our um, foreign policy is working. They just hate. And everything they accuse us of, this is the other thing, everything they accuse us of, they do. This thing about Trump being the authoritarian. Sarah Sanders gives her first press conference after being hounded out of this restaurant. And they say to her, "Are you?" this is cut number four. They say to her, are you going to do nothing? Is the Aren't you going to do anything about these the immigration problem? Let, you know, why don't you just make a law? <laughs> Listen to her response. Acts, nothing is actually going to change. The administration is not changing anything right now when it comes to justice. You mean, are we walking around making up laws? No, because we're not the Obama administration. We're actually trying to enforce the laws that are on the books. We're actually asking Congress to do their part in the process and pass new legislation that will fix our immigration no, but system. Is actually changing on the ground. Like this, so this is the president is complaining about judges and saying that we shouldn't have all these judges and people who come over should just be put out. But nothing is actually going to change. He's just saying, he's just complaining about the process as it stands now. Um, Things that uh, we have the ability to do administratively, we are working to do. But again, Congress is the only one that has the ability to write law, and we hope they'll do that. So they accuse us of the most vile things simply for disagreeing with them. That's the first thing. They accuse us of what they are guilty of doing. They do that all the time. But the other thing, and possibly the most important thing, is the way they wrap us in the mental prison of political correctness in order to silence us. You know, there was a thing that happened the other day with uh, David Bossie. You know David Bossie from Citizens United. Uh, a guy I know, I like him. He's on uh, Fox News. And this is important. It's important that it's Fox News because it's important to show that it has gotten into the minds of conservatives conservatives. And he's arguing with a another guy. I don't know who this is exactly, but it's a black guy. And they're having a back and forth about immigration. And David, ba- listen to what David Bussey says. Michael Hayden posted a picture of Auschwitz. Donnie yeah, that, Deutsch that liberal, is talking. That liberal look, Michael Hayden. 
Yeah, look, that, that's screaming liberal Michael you're, Hayden. You're out of your cotton-picking mind. Cotton-picking mind? You, Brother, you guys, let me tell you, you guys, something. You guys, let me tell you, are, you something. Are, you I got some, I got some, I got, I got some relatives this who, is, who pick this cotton. Okay. And I'm this not going to allow like, you to attack wanna, me like you, that you, on TV. I, I, I'm not out of my cotton-picking You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. He said you're out of your mind. Gentlemen, we're going to leave it right there. This is ridiculous. This is what's gone on in America. This is what we're about. Now, I'm sorry, but the phrase cotton pick in mind is not a, a, a racial phrase. He was suspended. David Bossie was suspended by Fox for a week because they have to prove to their audience, because the left so owns the culture, they have to prove to their audience that that was not a reference to slavery, which is not. Cotton picking is a word that people use to get around cursing, basically. So they, uh, you know, you're out of your so-and-so mind. Instead of you say you're out of your cotton picking mind, it's an old phrase. If David Bossie were a bigot, if he were a racist, he wouldn't have used it. He would have been too careful not to expose himself. But because he's dealing with this man as Man to man. He's dealing with a man to man. He said to him what he would have said to me. He said the same thing to him that he would have said to me. And yet they can tar anything. Tar. I said tar. Tar is black. I mean, come on. You're saying, are you saying black is bad because it's tar? You know, I mean, come on. They can do anything. And because they have wrapped people in this mental prison because they've made it, they, they have seized the, uh, the, the linguistic high ground. They, have t- they can tell us when we've been bigoted, even though we haven't been. That, too, is uncivil. That, too, is only an illusion of civility. What can leftists say that we can accuse them of being racist? Nothing. When when Harry Reid said racist things about Obama, when Joe Biden said racist things about Obama, it was just a, a gaffe. It was just a, a mistake. But if David Bossie says, cotton pick in mind, a phrase with absolutely no racial connotation whatsoever, he's suspended for a week. That's the other thing. That is the other uh, ceiling, the other glass cage that Donald Trump has broken through and why, when they oppose him, they make themselves look bad because they are only exposing themselves for what they are. Our friends at Wondery, who also do podcasts and do some terrific podcasts, they have one that has got a terrific story to tell. It's called Inside Jaws, and it takes you on an immersive journey through the making of 1975's pulse-pounding hit film, Jaws, the first ever summer blockbuster. You'll follow one of the most prolific filmmakers in history, Steven Spielberg, from the making of his first 8mm Western as a young Boy Scout to the rocky production and ground-breaking release of a movie that changed the film industry forever and instills a healthy fear of the water in millions of people around the world to this day. This is a tale of guts and glory you won't want to miss. I, I know part of the story. It's an amazing story. And this film, I saw this film in the theaters when it came out to show you how old I am. I walked out of there. I was shocked I wasn't under water. It was so immersive. It's a great story. So here are the first two episodes right now by subscribing to Inside Jaws on Apple Podcasts or heading to wondery.fm slash Inside Jaws. Or you can listen to the first four episodes ad-free by signing up for Wondery Plus at wondery.com slash plus. That's W-O-N-D-E-R-Y dot com slash P-L-U-S. You know, Another uh, Supreme Court decision that came out uh, allows, uh, in California, they tried to force uh, crisis pregnancy centers that don't want you to have an abortion. They tried to force them to refer you to abortion uh, clinics. And the Supreme Court said, no, that is a uh, an attack on free speech. But once again, it was a 5-4 decision. So when we're dealing with the Constitution, you want to turn to your left ease dictionary to find out what the Constitution means to them. Here's our third entry. Every other Tuesday they come out. Here's a third entry in my left ease dictionary. C is for Constitution. C 
is for Constitution. According to leftists, the Constitution is the sacred law of the land, bequeathed to us by the greatest political thinkers of all time. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. They hate it. You see, the Constitution enumerates or specifies the powers of the federal government so that Americans know that all other powers not mentioned in the Constitution belong to the individual and the state and local governments. That's not so good for leftists because they want the federal government to be able to control and limit your businesses, your associations, your speech, your religious practices, and anything else they don't like. Now, the Constitution would prevent that. But fortunately, according to leftists, the Constitution is a living document. It's not like other boring old documents that just lie around with words on them that have the same old meanings all the time. No, as a living document, the Constitution can just wake up in the middle of the night, drift into its study, and entirely rewrite itself so that by morning, you'd hardly even recognize it. For instance, the Constitution used to give the federal government absolutely no power to regulate what laws the states made regarding sex or marriage or abortion. And that was no good because leftists know exactly what everyone should think and do about sex and marriage and abortion. So there shouldn't be any disagreement allowed. But remember, the Constitution is alive. So one day, our living Constitution was sitting out on the back porch, washing down a brie-smeared slice of almond cake with a glass of Chardonnay, when suddenly it had a wonderful idea and leapt up from the porch swing so very quickly that the New Yorker fell from its lap before it even had a chance to finish the 30,000-word essay on the life of French feminist lithographer Louise Hervieux. I know, the Constitution said, I'll just insert some new words into the penumbra of my emanations. You won't be able to see the words. In fact, you won't be able to see the penumbras and emanations either. But you'll know the new words are there, all right, because five unelected justices will say they're there, and that will make them magically appear. And lickety-split, as quick as you can say democracy is a thing of the past, the Constitution rewrote itself and now allows the federal government to do just about anything it wants. Yes, a living document is an amazing thing. You can put all the words in it you like, and yet they still remain almost entirely meaningless until they mean exactly what leftists want them to. C is for Constitution. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is the Lefties Dictionary. I love that guy. He's hilarious. Oh, wait, it's me. <laughs> All right, we got Sebastian Gorka coming up, but we got a break from Facebook and YouTube. So come on over to The Daily Wire. You can listen to the rest there. And while you're there, you can subscribe. And if you subscribe for a lousy 10 bucks a month or a lousy 100 bucks for the entire year, you can ask questions in the mailbag tomorrow. Go to podcasts at the top of the page. Go to the Andrew Claven podcast. Go to the mailbag. Ask any question you want about anything you want. I will answer them, and those answers are guaranteed correct. We will send you a parchment written guarantee. No, we won't. I'm lying. But, you know, we'll send you. We will guarantee that they are correct, and they'll change your life on occasion for the better. Come on over to thedailywire.com. 
Sebastian Gorka is a military and intelligence analyst, a Fox News contributor, and the former deputy assistant to President Trump. He is also the author of the upcoming book, Why We Fight, Recovering America's Will to Win, which will be out July 24th. Sebastian, you have not sent me the book uh, yet, so I haven't read it, but I will the minute I get a copy. <laughs> I'll have you back to talk about that. How you doing? Good. I'm enjoying the penumbra, penumbra of your emanations. (laughs) I have I have the best penumbra. Everybody says so. I have the best penumbras and some excellent emanations as well. (laughs) All right. I got so much I want to ask you about, but I want to I want to start with nobody's. They're not covering this enough. I want to start with what's happening in Turkey and in Iran. Let's start with Turkey. Uh, They've just had an election in which this clown, (laughs) this guy or Doigan has been reelected. And now, basically, he has these new powers that make him almost the the lone ruler. What do you make of this? Where is this going? I'm worried that uh, Erdogan has been watching your show because he has become the god king of Turkey. Um, Not only does he have more than 80% turnout of the elections, winning the elections, as of his re-election, he is now the prime minister. Well, no, he's done away with the office of prime minister, and now he is the president executive, which means he's the head of state and the head of government, which means he gets to do whatever he wants. I mean, he, he, this is the instantiation of neo-Ottomanism. He has now made himself the sultan, the caliph of Turkey, and now he wants to continue his project of re-Ottomanizing and destroying the Ataturk legacy. I was, Drew, I was in Turkey for the first time, Christmas of 1988, and where, wherever you went, wherever you went, you'd see statues, of, uh, of Atatürk, you'd see murals, you'd see, you know, homage to the man who created an incredibly successful secular a Muslim secular state. Government, yeah. It's gone. It's all gone. I went back a few years ago. The statues have gone. The murals wow. have disappeared. Uh, he has been uh, erased from history because now they want to re-Islamize uh, the, the, the state of Turkey. And, and make it theocratic. And Erdogan is unfortunately succeeding. He is he is a radical Muslim, and he does want to bring back the Ottoman Empire. He wants to be the leader of the Muslim world. As I, I you know, Obama grouped him in. I, I don't know. They, I mean, they had some problems, Obama and Erdogan, but he, Erdogan. But he said, I think if you ask them, this is Obama speaking. He said Angela Merkel or Prime Minister Singh, or President Lee, or Prime Minister Erdogan, or David Cameron would say we have a lot of trust and confidence in President Obama. So he ranked him with some of the leaders of the free world. What was his strategy in your view? What, why was he giving uh, credence to this guy? I think it's the same reason that when he gave his speech in the Al-Azhar in um, Egypt, when uh, Obama went to the birthplace of the Muslim Brotherhood, it's stunning to, to, to remember this. He had the Muslim Brotherhood representatives in the front row of that auditorium when he gave his speech. This is, uh, Erdogan is the Turkish equivalent of the Muslim Brotherhood, the re-theocratizing of a Muslim state. Why did he do it? Everything stems. Everything stems from the concept that we are the problem that Judeo-Christian society is the problem, and America as the pinnacle of Western civilization is the issue. How else could you explain that the first priority the new president has is to go on a global apology tour, whether it's uh, global warming, whether it's terrorism, 
we are the cause of it all. And, and rec- lumping Erdogan in there is just another consequence of that facile analysis. Uh, well, to bring uh, up another of his pals in Iran, uh, they're now having very substantial protests. I mean, very surprising protests. Yes. Now, can you remind people, I mean, they, they had these protests before when Obama yes. was president. And uh, he basically ditched them, didn't he? Yeah, in 2009, we had the Green Revolution, where if you remember that absolutely heart-wrenching video of a young female protester being shot to death and being filmed on her friend's iPhone as she's bleeding out on the streets of Tehran, Um, the Obama administration turned their back completely. The mullahs retrenched themselves. And not only that, what happened a few years later, they released $140 billion to the mullahs in this unbelievably naive concept that if you make the Shia version of Islam stronger, then it will help balance the Sunnis, the extremists like Al-Qaeda and ISIS. It's the equivalent of throwing nitroglycerin onto a bonfire to try and put it out because, hey, it's a liquid. Right. <laughs> so what what exactly is happening now? Why are they why are these protests come back now? So now what's really interesting in, in comparison to 2009, uh, they're not centrally located in Tehran. Uh, the, every every dictatorship gets to a point, uh, paradoxically, where it may have centralized power, but where it becomes uh, very fragile suddenly. And with the last five years of Iranian adventurism around the region, deploying its assets into Yemen, having its generals run around Iraq. It has spread itself so thin that the the Iranians back home are seeing um, the cost economically for the Iranian adventurism. And now, Drew, the protests are happening everywhere. And with with Donald Trump in, 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 in the White House, he has told the State Department, he's told the State Department to tell U.S. concerns, you must, within the next three months, you must stop import of all crude oil from Iran. When that happens, they're in big trouble because this is a country that has one resource, crude oil and, and, you know, Islam, right? Theology, uh, (laughs) Islam. That's about its two exports. So, So they are teetering on an economic brink. And a lot of Iranians have just had had enough, Drew, had enough. I mean, Donald Trump's pulling out of this crazy Iran deal. It could have the effect of over, helping to overturn one of the worst regimes on earth. Yeah, look, he he is not. Donald Trump is not an interventionist. He he thinks what we the money, the trillions we wasted in Iraq and Afghanistan, us going in to change other countries is crazy. But if other countries, people want to change their leadership, if they want to make it more representative. Absolutely. That's what 1776 is about. That's how America was created. So, yes, by by pulling out of the JCPOA, the Iran deal, by re, uh, recreating the sanctions regime, that may be that may be the, the, the last straw that provides the possibility for the revolution of 2009 to actually bear fruit today. So let's let's while we're talking about uh, President the Donald, let's bring this home. And before before we talk about what the left is doing, which is insane, it, there does seem to be some confusion at the border today. They're reporting that they're not even really prosecuting uh, illegals with families anymore. It's almost gone back to catch and release. Sarah Sanders says that's because they just don't have the resources. It is. Is there confusion in this administration about how to deal with this or or, or are they looking for something that they don't have? 
No, I don't think there's, there's confusion when it comes to policy. The policy is clear. What there is is their manpower constraints on doing what has to be done. There is absolutely, I, I, you know, I will, if, there, if there's a good book here, I'll swear in it. There will never, ever be catch and release on our borders as long as Donald Trump is president. When he met with those angel moms, when he put those people in front of a camera to say, my children were murdered, Alyssa, uh, these these beautiful young girls, parents who invited to the State of the Union, 15-year-olds murdered by gang members here in the United States who had come into the United States under false, false pretenses. That, that commitment to the security of their nation will never be uh, diluted by the president. But, you know, the, the left will use whatever, you know, whether it's the cover of Time magazine, whether it's lying about the status of little girls who weren't separated from their parents, they will continue to use this as a hammer to bash the president. But at the end of the day, I think most Americans see through it. Do you? I mean, I, I'm wondering, yeah. I, I'm wondering what people are thinking right now. I mean, it's very hard to tell what people are thinking right now about this, these attacks on people like Sarah Sanders, uh, the Florida AG, Uh, women surrounded and mobbed. I mean, it's painful to me to just see it happening in America. How far do you think the left is willing to go with this? Well, look, uh, a Bernie Sanders volunteer took a rifle and a handgun to a baseball diamond a few miles from where I'm sitting and with a hit list of Republican uh, senators and congressmen and tried to kill them all and almost murdered Steve Scalise. So how far will they go? They've already gone. I mean, we, we have members of the Black Bloc, the anarchist group, that have been assassinating police officers in the last two years, going out to target police officers. So if there's one side of the political debate that's normalized violence, it's, it's the left. Donnie Deutsch, think about this for a second. Joe Scarborough, Donnie Deutsch, on, on national television, used the principle of collective guilt. They said, if you voted for Trump, you're evil, you're a bigot, you're a racist. Now, Drew, in in the last 100 years, which regime most viciously used the concept of collective guilt? I'll give you a clue. It was run by a guy called Adolf with a bad mustache. (laughs) Collective guilt was the justification for the Holocaust. Whether you're Jewish, whether you're a homosexual, whether you're Catholic, you bear the guilt for what happened to Germany in World War I and six million people were killed in the Holocaust. The collective guilt principle has been embraced by the Democrat Party, and that is very, very dangerous. Do you think the press, I mean, it really does seem to me that the press is giving shelter. Uh, a lot of yes. people in the, sh- in the press are giving shelter to this kind of behavior. Is there any chance of them waking up, or is it, are they so immersed? I mean, I, I don't believe that there is a single Trump voter in any position of authority in any network newsroom in the country. I, I, I would almost bet money that there is not a single person who has the authority to put a news story on the air who voted for Donald Trump. Is there any chance of them breaking out of this cocoon and, and thinking, let's, let, it, let us at least address these, uh, these 60 million people who voted for Trump? Look, I, I've never been to an AA meeting, but but what what what's the first step of of admitting of of going through? What's the first step, Drew? You got to admit you have a problem. Yeah, you got to admit you have a got. When is Jim Acosta, who goes on television to lambast a grandmother who called him out for being fake? He actually go after she pillories him for being fake news. He has to whine about it on camera. When is Jim Acosta going to say? you know what, I'm fake news. When is, when is Anderson Cooper going to say, having a viewership of 600,000 people on the most popular CNN show in America 
when there's 320 million people who aren't watching my show? When is he going to say, well, therefore I failed? It's never going to happen. As long as you have people like Jeff Bezos treating the Washington Post as his pet vanity project, then the, the free market principles of having to actually make money don't apply. So the free market's not going to stop them. Their, their own egos aren't going to allow them to admit that they are liars. So it's just going to go on for another seven years. So before I let you go, I want to ask you about this one other thing, the, this trade deal. I mean, this is the one place where a lot of conservatives have their backs up. We all like yes. free trade. I like free trade. Uh, obviously, Harley Davidson moving some of its manufacture out of the country is a very, is very, it's spooky. You know, we're afraid. Look, Trump has got an, the economy going down the track like a fast train. It's amazing. But everybody's right. worried that he's going to start a trade war that's going to gut what he's done. Uh, what do you think his plan is here? Oh, I know what his plan is. Okay. I mean, I, when I, I was in Singapore. I spoke to him. Look, um, people need to understand the, the tariff issue, the, the, the issue of quotas has nothing to do with trade uh, country by country. It's a negotiating tactic. Okay. The president understands that the international global economic system is skewed not to favor America. And this is his messaging to get it back to where it should be. That's all it is, Drew. So in other words, what he's saying is we're already in a trade war. I'm just uh, yes, accepting. No, okay. they, they, when, 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 the EU, when the EU quadruples the tax on our automotive products going into their countries, as opposed to how much we tax them coming here, who started the war? When Canada has a almost 300-point tax on U.S. milk products that hit farmers in America, who declared war first? The, the yeah. president doesn't want a trade war. He wants to reset things, but not with a cheesy plastic button like Hillary. <laughs> Don't knock the cheesy plastic button. I mean, that's just a cheap shot, Sebastian. <laughs> anyway, come back when Why We Fight, Recovering America's Will to Win, your new book comes out on July 24th. Come back and talk about it then. It's always good to see you. I'd be delighted. Thank you, Drew. God bless. Thanks a lot. All right, gentlemen, sexual follies. That thing still makes me laugh. I'm, I'm, I'm easy, I guess. It's a, uh, a, a site I like called Science Alert sometimes collects uh, different scientific information. So I love this. They had uh, they collected what makes men attractive to women, something that all men are interested in. Uh, this says romantic attraction is a complicated thing that scientists don't, still don't completely understand. But through research and experimentation, they've come up with many ideas about what draws one person uh, to another, and we've rounded up some of the most compelling scientific insights about the traits and behaviors that make men more appealing to women. So this, for your dating pleasure, I'm now going to read you some of these. <laughs> Number one, look for the universal so signals of flirtation. Rutgers University anthropologist and best-selling author Helen Fisher says that women around the world signal interest with a remarkably similar sequence of expressions. It goes like this. First, the woman smiles at her. <laughs> 
<laughs> First, the woman smiles at her admirer and lifts her eyebrows in a swift, jerky motion as she opens her eyes wide to gaze at him. Then she drops her eyelids, tilts her head down and to the side and looks away. Frequently, she also covers her face with her hands, giggling nervously as she retreats behind her palms. Like, I think she might be having a seizure. I'm not sure that she's attracted to you. Number two, look for someone in your league. Men and women are attracted to people who are as attractive as they are. If you go for someone roughly equal to you in attractiveness, it avoids two, two things, says one psychologist. If they are much better looking than you, you are worried about them going off and having affairs. If they are much less attractive, you are worried that you could do better. See, I think the problem here is that for most men, going after someone more attractive than you is called dating women. <laughs> I think most of us are way out of our league already. Number three, look older. Women prefer older men. If I looked any older, I'd be dead. Uh, number four, a, a light beard. Women find a, uh, uh, they find facial hair correlates not only with maturity and masculinity, but also with dominance and aggression. They like a uh, stubble. They like stubble. I wonder if these guys, have any of these guys ever been on a date? <laughs> They're just making this stuff up. Build muscle, but not too much. Uh, study from the University of California in L.A. Women looked at pictures of shirtless men and indicated which ones seemed like they would make the best long and short-term partners. Results showed that women are more likely to want short-term relationships with the guys who had big muscles, but they like the guys with a little less muscle for long-term relationship because... If you have a job, you don't have time to build up the big muscles. Be kind. A 2014 Chinese study, more than 100 young people looked at images of men and women's faces and rated them on attractiveness. If uh, each face pictured had a, was paired with a word that described a personality trait like kindness or honesty, uh, results showed that the people described with positive traits were rated more attractive. So be a kind Chinese guy is the answer there. Uh, wear red because women like gay men. Uh, <laughs> the, others, the others are pretty good. <laughs> the others are pretty obvious. Make her laugh, walk a dog, show off your scars, not all at the same time. All right. That's, so now you know it's all there for you. Tomorrow is the mailbag. All the rest of your problems will be solved. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. We will see you then. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Emily Jai. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.